Today's global consumer is very clear in their demand for safe, affordable, and sustainable protein. To continue to meet these rising expectations requires both leadership and collaboration with food chain stakeholders, academia, and the veterinary community. Merck Animal Health is pleased to amplify the voices of leaders throughout the protein supply chain here on this podcast, caring for animals and creating trust. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us for Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. I'm Jane Dukes with the Merck Animal Health Veterinary and Consumer Affairs team, and I'll be hosting today's conversation. Joining me today are Andy Herrick with FMI, the Food Industry Association, and my colleague, Paul Kaufman, Executive Director on the Merck Animal Health Intelligence team. Together, we're going to explore the growing use of technology in animal agriculture and how it might help us transparently share information throughout the supply chain. Consumers we know want to know more. They want to know more about where their food comes from and how it is grown and raised. There are several generations removed from the farm, and they rely on those of us in the food chain to share information, and technology increasingly plays an important role. Technology can provide insights to farmers, ranchers, and veterinarians about animal health. It can also help brands and retailers share information with consumers about the food they're feeding their families. Technology continues to advance to make our lives easier, better computers, phones, cars, and kitchen gadgets, but you might be surprised to learn how it has also advanced in agriculture. During our time today, we're going to dive into how technology might be used to help satisfy consumer demand for transparency, and hopefully we'll all walk away with a better understanding of how agriculture and food system leaders can work together to share information from the farm to the table. Andy and Paul, I'm looking forward to our conversation for this episode of Caring for Animals and creating trust. Andy, let's begin with you. I know FMI does a lot of research around consumers and their shopping habits and what they mean when they say they want transparency. Please share a little bit about your background and the work you do at FMI. Well, thank you, Jane, and and appreciate everyone being here today and uh, having me here to talk to y'all. So um, FMI is a trade association that represents both grocery stores and the wholesalers who supply the grocery stores but we also represent um, a lot of food manufacturers. So we have that whole section of the supply chain as our membership. And obviously as part of that, we do a lot of consumer research. And part of my role at FMI is in the public policy and communications arena. For the purposes of today, I am part of a team that not only helps design FMI's research and what will be useful for our members to have, but then once we have that research pulled together, also decide how best to distribute it. And one of the things we've been working on over the years is not only to communicate this with our membership, again, those grocery stores, wholesalers, and manufacturers who are direct members, but also they are other partners in the supply chain who could benefit from this information and who need to understand the kind of evolving marketplace that consumers are creating. It's definitely a challenging environment. Relationships that may have been the same for you know, 20 or 30 years are now evolving overnight and changing so quickly that it can sometimes uh, kind of make you catch your breath. So we felt it's really important that as we get this research together, we not only use it to help shape our business models, but again, to go out to our supply chain partners and help them understand that a lot of the things that we are asking for of them are not created out of whole cloth, but are generated from what we're hearing from our consumers. Sure. And Paul, I'm sure you can relate to the challenging environment and everything changing. As a leader within Merck Animal Health Intelligence, why don't you share a little bit about your background and how your team is working to advance technology and how that meets the needs of our customers, farmers, ranchers, and veterinarians? Absolutely. And and thank you, Jane. And uh, 
Thank you, Andy. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you all here today. So Merck Animal Health Intelligence is really the, the newest part of, of Merck Animal Health. So we are um, a, a part of the business that was actually started as through an acquisition that we as Merck Animal Health made back in April of 2019. And really our focus is utilizing technology. I think some things we'll get into more deeply as we go through the course of the podcast, but really utilizing technology to gain more useful insights into production agriculture how we're raising those animals, how we're able to identify things from the standpoint of possibly earlier detection of disease and use that information to make better insights, make better disease diagnosis, and then working with our veterinary professionals and our biopharmaceutical products to ultimately have better outcomes and better performance. The way our team approaches that quite simply is, is we work with producers, ranchers, dairy farmers, beef producers, cattle producers, feedlots, et cetera, and work with them on their goals, work with them on what their challenges may be, and, and help come up with an opportunity where technology can help them meet their goals or overwhelm those challenges that they're faced with. And then also put that in such a structure where we can actually help them on that journey. As we think about the execution and the implementation of new technology, there's a lot to it. It's not just buying that device off the shelf and we start to use it. All of us that have implemented technology, whether it's a new cell phone or a new vehicle would, would realize there's things we have to learn. And the same thing happens when we apply those new technologies into livestock production. So a lot of work with the team, really supporting folks on their journey for successful execution. Myself, I've been part of Merck Animal Health for, for nearly 29 years and have had the opportunity to be on many different parts of the business. And I can tell you this last couple of years, leading this part of the business has been arguably the most exciting, the fastest moving and, and really enjoyable. So look forward to sharing more of that with you in the next few minutes, Jane. That's great. And, and I'm sure this will be an eye-opening podcast for a lot of folks as we look to find that place where this type of technology in agriculture meets the food industry and, and how it can help us as we try to be transparent with consumers. So let's dive in and I'm going to set the stage by sharing some research insights Research from FMI and Label Insight last year revealed that 81% of shoppers feel transparency is important to extremely important to them, both when they're shopping online and in store. And we also know from research that the global pandemic has increased consumer concern about the safety of the meat supply, and nearly 70% of consumers stated that they believe that packers and processors are responsible for the safety of the meat they purchase. Also, we know that how consumers define transparency can vary in what they're looking for when they say they want transparency, which makes it a bit of a moving target. So, Andy, let's start with you. The key findings in this FMI research noted that core factors make a brand transparent. Can you talk a little bit about those factors and the key insights you've learned about the consumer desire for transparency? Absolutely. Yeah, this was really exciting research, and I think it reflected what we were hearing anecdotally for a number of years about consumers. And when they talk about transparency, they have three core factors and, and, and a number of uh, sort of secondary ones that they're really talking about. So one is really openness about ingredients. And that is both a complete list of the ingredients that are offered, but then also a plain English explanation of that list, really helping them understand that. Second factor that's at the top of their list where they want that transparency, certification. So think about USDA organic, non-GMO, any of those kind of certifications out there, they not only want to know what those certifications are, they want help in understanding what they mean. Um, we see a lot of confusion around that. I, like I think probably a lot of people have had conversations in grocery stores with people about this as they try to understand this. Just the other night, I had a conversation with a lady who was looking for um, non-GMO salt. 
And, you know, I kind of stopped and explained to her, I said, you're okay. You know, there's not GMO salt. And she looked at me like, you, sir, are a liar. So, you know, stores that can help people kind of understand those certifications, that is part of that transparency process. And then the, the third and what we often see is the most important factor is the in-depth information about nutrition and health values of the food they're buying. That can be really hard to decipher using the current nutrition label. And um, it's really important to people, particularly as we see on the flip side of this, they are really engaged on health and wellness and they really expect retailers and the entire food supply chain to be partners. So those three ingredients, certification, nutrition, those are really top the list of how people see transparency. But you also have in addition things like product claims. So that can be heart healthy. Uh, those kind of claims like that, that people need help understanding lots of times because they're not regulated and they can have really broad meanings depending upon the manufacturer or the retailer who's offering the item. And then also allergens. We see this more and more as, uh, you know, particularly parents are shopping for their children. They're trying to adjust to these allergens and understand what's in their food to do that. So, um, Part of what I think is interesting, how you see this play this out, that same research found that about 64% of people make purchases to suit specific diets. So that can be anything from a low sugar diet to a high protein diet, keto, gluten-free, the whole spectrum of this. And so they are really looking for help in how to meet those goals. And that's where those transparency factors come into play. They want both, again, the retailer and the entire food supply chain to be an ally, to help them figure out what they want. They don't want to be told what to eat. They want help in making the decision on what meets their goals and reflects their values. And that's where these transparency figures come in. I would say, too, um, we put this research in the field before COVID. We've done some COVID trackers along the way um, during the past year and a half to kind of see if people have changed how they view this. They have not so far, but I do think going forward, this will not be a static list. We're going to see this list of what counts as transparency expand. We already hear and get more questions on the consumer side about things like animal welfare, human rights in the supply chain. These are going to be factors that we're going to have to consider going forward as that definition of transparency really expands and evolves to reflect consumers, particularly those young consumers, the kind of millennials and younger who are just starting to shop and may have been brought up in slightly different ways than the rest of us have, where things like, you know, addressing climate change are sort of seen as a given. They expect you to be able to do this as a food manufacturer, but they're also coming in with other values that are a little bit different than older generations. So again, what we saw last year with these three primary factors is going to evolve and it's going to keep evolving. And so it's going to be really challenging, I think, for everyone from retail all the way up the supply chain to continue to address this and to find the right way to make sure that they're responding to consumers. Sure. And part of what's on the plate is protein, you know, animal protein. And, and it occurred to me as you were talking about product claims, you know, on, on our side of the fence, we, we see the consumer demand for never, ever you know, never ever antibiotics, no hormones. So that's sort of where the animal health intelligence can come in as well. So Paul, as Merck Animal Health has developed intelligence and worked with its customers on solutions for their operations, what have we learned about the adoption of technologies and how those technologies might contribute to the transparency here that we're talking about that consumers desire? Yeah, Jane, it's a, it's a great question. I think as we look back on what we've learned over the last 10 years or so that we've been applying technologies specifically in the dairy industry, that adoption of technology really goes through um, a curve, if you will, an adoption curve. And 
some of the initial applications really start in with folks looking at how they might use something for a better outcome. But as we get more refined on some of these technologies, which we have, as we get a, a stronger opportunity to talk to them about improved performance, improved outcome, we start to see that ramp up, which is very much what we're seeing in the dairy space right now. As we look at the, the adoption of these various technologies and, and as we look to the future, what we see are things like identifying animals getting sick earlier, as an example, in a, in a feedlot setting, which allows us to intervene earlier. We look at things like labor. Andy mentioned animal welfare. We think there's a potential for a very exciting piece there as we start to monitor animals 24 hours a day, seven days a week where we as humans may only see them for you know a few hours a day. So certainly the adoption has been a rapid, but it's, it's also uh, been something that's really based upon learning from the producers what they're looking for. I think the next step is as we look more towards the consumers and that increasing demand for knowing more about their food, I think technology has an incredible role to play there as we look to provide that knowledge of, again, having a, a monitoring device, a smartwatch, if you will, a Fitbit on those animals 24 hours, seven days a week that can give us insights into what their health is, how they're acting, uh, better outcomes, et cetera, which then as we flow that through the chain gives more information to those things you were just asking about for the traceability, Jane, and transparency. And then I guess the question becomes, you know, how much do consumers want to know? So can we stay with the technology just for a minute, Paul, and, and let's talk about what kind of information you gather for instance, I, I really like the analogy of the smartwatch on the cow. Let's talk about the dairy industry. What kinds of things are you seeing with this technology and, and what kinds of things can you learn about the cow by using this technology? Sure. So maybe just a little bit of background on what the technology does, Jane. So, so we apply a, a wearable. So that may be a collar on a dairy cow or an ear tag, both of which have a similar approach. And what we do is we, we track their activity. Right, And from that, we're able to identify patterns and those patterns allow us to have a better sense of, of their health. So is something changing in their rumination for that dairy cow, the way she's digesting her food? Is there a health outcome there that we need to check closer? Is she coming into a, a phase of a reproduction cycle that we need to intervene from that dairy animal? So all these various pieces flow together. Uh, as we pull that information again, 24 hours, seven days a week, we take that data, we're able to use that in our algorithms to have more insight that comes out of that, which allows that dairy farmer and his or her veterinary professional to make a decision on what's the right approach here, and then ultimately have a better outcome for that animal. It really gives kind of a picture of the, of the animal's health. And that leads me to think about animal welfare. Andy, what do you think the food supply chain could do with this kind of information? And do you think consumers are going to get to the point where they want to know these kinds of things about animal welfare? I do. And I think it's going to happen a lot sooner than people think. And one of the challenges is going to be not just providing the information, but again, helping them understand it. Consumers will reward companies that help them make good decisions without condescending to them. And that's part of the trust building process is for the consumer to feel like, yes, this person is providing me this information. I understand that there's maybe sales goals behind it, but it is still good basic scientific information. And that's going to be the challenge because right now people are just inundated with so much data and a lot of it's contradictory. Um, we've seen this in a lot of areas where sometimes bad science has a louder voice than good science. And that's part of the reason why I think 
while in almost every other aspect of their life, people view technology as a, a net positive, when it comes to food, they're a little bit more hesitant. And that needs to be overcome. I, I think as we go forward, one is going to be crucial to the supply chain and keeping it up and running, but it's also going to be really important for helping um, consumers achieve you know, health and wellness goals, helping them understand where their food comes from and that animal welfare practices, but they got to understand it first. And I think that's really going to be um, the challenge and the responsibility of the entire supply chain to make sure we are providing that good information. And we're speaking just as loudly again with the good science as we are with the bad science. Sure. And, and that's a good segue into trust. You know, consumers are inundated with information and data and they're not always sure who to trust or what to believe. I know, Andy, the research that we talked about just earlier noted that distrust on the part of consumers that 61% of omnichannel shoppers believe manufacturers, brands, or government institutions are responsible for providing detailed product information. However, less than half of the shoppers trust that information. That's a conundrum. What can we do to increase trust and how can animal agriculture help? Yeah, it is. It is a challenge. Um, I, I would say the good news and what you draw out of that is both the, the retailer and the farmer have really high trust levels. People really look at them as the source of potentially good information. And so we need to make sure uh, both the sectors that we are building upon that trust. And we can take a lesson from that and learn and be proactive, make sure we're out there telling our story and um, really engaging with consumers. You know, we always say you can't build trust in a crisis. You can come out of it with more trust if you handle it well, but when you're in the midst of it, that is the equity you draw down when you ask people to say, come with us, believe in us, trust us. And companies need to start that today. They need to build that process. They need to make sure they're providing good information. They're being open. Whether you like it or not, you're out front these days and you need to build that trust. And it starts by, again, telling your story, make sure you're out there every day, engaging on this, understanding what consumers want and really responding to that in a way that reflects the values of your company. Right, right. And the global pandemic hasn't helped. So the global pandemic has really brought some of the supply chain folks um, to the forefront who, who might have been invisible before the global pandemic has, has certainly put them into the spotlight. So, Paul, how can technologies in animal agriculture contribute to greater transparency for consumers? And, and where do you see the greatest application? Jane, I, I, you know, one of the things when we think about transparency, I think the piece that will become important is really a, a partnership through that entire food chain and, and how technology can apply to, to help link that together. We certainly know that we can apply technology at the farm level and to be, as, as I talked before, an assistance to the farmer as they make better insight, build decisions and, and better outcomes working their veterinary professional. But that same information that we're gathering, we believe really helps to tell that overall transparency story when we think about how that animal was raised, when we can look and have those records and have the information on potentially the animal welfare piece, certainly the treatment records, things of that nature that then flow through all the way and back to what Andy just said, that good, solid, inherent trust of the farmer, the producer that's raising that animal. I think technology has the opportunity to, to really partner in this space and help work with the, the retailers, with the processors, as well as with the farmers as we try to bring that all together in a more holistic approach for better health outcomes. Because ultimately, we all have the same goal which is really producing that, that wholesome protein and making sure we get that into the hands of the consumer, that they're happy with that outcome. Because ultimately, if that isn't successful, 
you know, there is not a need for the farmer. There is not a need for the technology that we're bringing forward here. So I, I fundamentally believe there's a great role for technology to play, but it won't be as, as us as Merck Animal Health alone. It's going to be in a, in a cooperative partnership type approach with multiple segments of the industry. Right. The other thing that we really have to identify and that we can work together to identify is what is it that consumers really want to know and, you know, what will make them feel comfortable about the food they're putting on their table. So, Paul, what are the a few technologies in animal agriculture that you believe would pleasantly surprise food system stakeholders that they may not know exist? And how do they help advance transparency and build this important consumer trust? Really, Jane, three things come to mind for me when you say that. And I'll start with probably the most simple, which is identification, electronic identification. So from a technology standpoint, applying a radio frequency identification, electronic ID to that animal allows us to follow that animal all the way through its production system and be able to keep electronic records very much like probably most folks have with, with their own health. So I think that knowledge probably at the consumer level is ununderstood and unknown. So I think that has an implication to say, listen, we actually can keep records and keep a tracking number with this identification, similar to like our social security number that stays with us for, for our entire life. So I think that would be the first one. The second one I touched on would be dairy monitoring. And the fact that today we have cows upon cows upon cows in the United States that we're monitoring day in and day out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. From a, from a consumer standpoint and, and utilizing those technologies, I think the surprise would be is that one, we're actually doing things in that nature, similar to what they may be wearing with their smartwatch or their Fitbit, but also how we apply that to have better health outcomes. But the interesting bit that most people wouldn't realize is by deploying that technology, we also allow those cows to be cows. So we're able to only intervene with them when they tell us, we listen to the cow is, is the way we like to talk about it. So by having that technology that we're monitoring them 24 hours, seven days a week, we're not necessarily disturbing them like we would have uh, maybe in the past. So we're letting them, they eat, they ruminate, they drink, they rest. We're able to allow them to do that. And I think that would be a big surprise for, for a lot of the consumers. The third piece would be some of our newer pieces of technology, which would be in the feedlot market, where we're monitoring calves, cattle in the feedlot. And, and what we've seen in that, infer, in, in that technology is the ability to identify those animals getting sick roughly two days earlier than we as humans can. So think about that when we would look at it, could we actually predict our children getting sick earlier and what, what would be the outcome for us there? Certainly the ability to, to do that through monitoring these animals and identifying trends and changes in their behavior, which allows us to identify them getting sick earlier and then ultimately intervene sooner. So I think all three of those would be pieces that people would be, I would like to think, pleasantly surprised about food production and how technology is applied. Sure. And, and that's very exciting. And, and while we aren't providing that level of transparency now, we might be doing that in the future in terms of providing information about a, a particular animal all the way through the supply chain. And I would think that in a disease outbreak, that would be really important as well. So Andy, do you think there is going to come a day where consumers are going to say, hey, I want to know everything about the steak that's on my plate? Yeah, I, I think part of the trust building process is going to, um, the benefit of that is going to be maybe creating some guardrails around the information that they feel they have to have. I mean, obviously, one of the ironies of this is that um, even though people sometimes 
mistrust technology, um, it's technology that's going to help us be more transparent, right? It's it's easier to communicate a lot of this information um, through these different technological channels. So, but I do think what we're going to see is there's going to be a sort of a limit on how much they feel that they can have to take in. And then we'll say, okay, here's what I really want. Here's what's really important to me. It could be labor, it could be animal welfare, could be things like, you know, carbon uh, emissions, greenhouse gas footprint. I'm going to want this information. And then as you move beyond that, because you've built the trust here, it's going to come into play and I'm going to trust you to do well. But yeah, I think in the near term, we're going to see more and more demands for information. I think what's exciting um, is, you know, the conversations I'm having with lots of people is what you were looking at in uh, particularly animal agriculture are people who are really looking at the cutting edge. They're really looking about how do we move forward in a host of different areas. Um, So it's not like uh, kind of a slow roll. It is moving quickly. It is cutting edge. And technology is really going to help a lot of things happen. So, you know, I mentioned sort of climate change. You see your animal agriculture often mentioned in terms of that. The industry is taking that, I think, extraordinarily seriously, but isn't communicating it maybe as well as they should be. I think there's lots of people who'd be surprised about how far along the industry is, the investments that are being made, the kind of um, technology that's going to be brought into the field, if not now, you know, in the next couple of years. And that's really, I think, what's going to be important. Right. And that's that's really interesting when we talk about climate change and, and sustainability and companies making net zero commitments. I just saw in the news today that McDonald's has done that. And these are certainly things that we can address with technology. So how do we help food system leaders embrace and utilize these technological advancements? And and I'll ask you both. Paul, let's start with you. I I think a starting point, Jane, really needs to be the outreach and and, and making different parts of the food chain aware of of what is available and what can happen at at the farm, at the ranch. And linking that to what their overall goals are and what they're being asked to produce from that that piece from the consumers. Again, it's very much a a partnership type approach. It needs to be more of an overarching approach of how we apply technology to to Andy's point at the processor, but also that technology back at the base um, on the farm production systems and, and how that can actually help tell this compelling story and share that compelling story about animal agriculture. And Andy, what about you? How do you think that we can help the food system leaders embrace technology and, and help our consumers accept it? Yeah, well, I think I agree with everything Paul said, but I, I would also add to that. I think one of the challenges is when we talk about technology, sometimes people have a really narrow view of that. They may view it as simply, you know, sort of the GMO issue kind of replayed over and over. It could be a different area. So we need to really make clear the kind of the full spectrum of this. And we need to make it clear the role it's going to play in their life. How do you get kids to engage and get them to like fruits and vegetables as opposed to feel like it's pulling teeth? You know, can technology help that? How, as you know, we're starting to embrace this idea of food of medicine and we're asking people and people are really demanding that, you know, they understand the nutrient content better. How can we help them on those journeys? I I think you have to really, we're going to have to break this down to people's lifestyles and their lives and say, this is the value it's bringing uh, and have that conversation. If we can really bring this down again to their everyday life and the way they interact with their food and the food system. Uh, But everyone's going to have the role to play and we have to make sure that everyone's playing it. And again, a lot of those, uh, a lot of those players haven't always had to do that. They haven't always had to think, okay, more than one step up the supply chain. They've kind of thought, okay, as long as I can keep, you know, my buyer happy, I'm good to go, right? Because I am not a public facing organization, a company or institution. 
that isn't this way anymore. So everyone's, again, everyone's on the field. Everyone's going to have to step up and, uh, you know, take a cut at bat. For sure. For sure. So this has been a fascinating conversation. As we bring it to a close, let's talk about what success looks like. So usually we begin with the end in mind. I'm sure that that is, uh, is on your mind, Paul, as you lead Mahi. What does success look like to you for the future of Merck Animal Health Intelligence? Yeah, it's a great question. One I, I find myself reflecting on, on often for us is the overarching Merck and our animal health approach. It's really making sure that we're able to play a key role and help our customer base, be that the, the producer, the rancher, the dairy farmer, be that the veterinarian, produce that wholesome food. We think there's challenges ahead, certainly, but we know that there are opportunities. So success to us is working with all those parts of, of the production system to help them identify a more holistic approach to food animal production, applying technology in such a way that helps us have better information, ultimately a better outcome from a health standpoint, and then doing that in such a way that, that helps tell that compelling story about livestock production and, and where the food comes from as it's sitting in the grocery store, be it here in Kansas City or in DC where Andy's sitting. I think that's what success looks like ultimately. And we're really tying together pieces that, that haven't been together in the past. You know, we're really the first company that we believe are taking a, a pure technology approach using electronics and sensors and data and using that to interact holistically with veterinary pharmaceuticals and biologicals to have that better outcome, that better performance, making sure we're, we're making informed decisions that give us the best outcome on health, help us be more efficient and more effective in what we do, have a good story that goes along with that about how that production is. And then Jane, as we move forward, really success ties back to what you talked about before from a transparency standpoint. It goes into sustainability. It goes into answering those questions of producing more food for this increasing population that we have on the planet, knowing we don't have more landmass to do that with, knowing we're going to have to get improved yields and improved efficiency. So that's what excites me. That's, uh, that's what we see success looking like in the future and certainly uh, look forward to working to deliver that in the days and years to come. That is exciting. And, and Andy, similar, you know, I'm going to bounce this question over to you as we think about the use of technology to better meet consumer demand for greater transparency. What does success look like and how might technology and agriculture help on the food supply chain side and, and from Food Marketing Institute's uh, perspective? Sure. I think that's a, a twofold answer. One is um, I think success looks like as we engage with our supply chain partners to make sure that we are not only, again, providing them with good information, helping them tell their story, but then also where it's appropriate, helping them engage with that technology and move forward for it with it and create the, the kind of markets that are necessary to do exactly what Paul talked about. Again, increase those yields, make sure that the supply chain stays nimble and those shelves stay stocked even you know as we deal with you know times of crisis whether that's because of uh, climate change or in the case of covid uh, a pandemic but i think on the consumer side you know we always say we never want to be in a position where we are telling people how they should eat or what they should buy but what we do want to do is make sure that we are arming consumers with the best information possible and that is really our job they can then make the decision that's right for them right for their family reflects their values, reflects what's going on in their community. And so I think it's really important for us to, 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 again, kind of play that role with our supply chain partners to make sure we are offering the best information possible in terms of transparency, really arming consumers with what they need 
to make the best decisions possible. So that's what success looks like for us. That's great. And and it's certainly an opportunity for, for all of us to work together. So Andy and Paul, thank you for joining me today on this episode of Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. Today's conversation has been fascinating and will hopefully help all of us in the food system work together to increase transparency and build consumer trust that we've talked about. And just as technology has been adopted in in multiple aspects of our lives, animal agriculture and the food system are also innovating for the benefit of agriculture, animal health, and the consumer. And to you, our listeners, I appreciate you spending a few minutes of your day with us. We hope you continue to find our conversations interesting and valuable. And we look forward to our next conversation where Dr. Angela Basinger and her guests will dive into the unique aspects of the human-animal bond. Until next time, take care of yourselves and thanks for listening.